0: Thank you, Delicia. That was wonderful. Good job. Good job, everybody. And remain standing just long enough to read a little bit of Scripture, and then you can be seated. I'm getting feedback, guys. All right. We're going to begin a series today that I call The Apprentice. And in your bulletins, you notice that you've got a little something to take notes. Somebody said to me this week, Man, I looked at your people on Wednesday, they take notes, and on Sunday, they don't take any notes. So that's because they're listening to me. But um, I gave you something to take notes with because I want you to remember what we're about to cover. I believe it's going to change your life. How many of you would like your life to be changed? It's going to be changed by the Word of God. It's going to be changed by God's truth. And I want to have a prayer with you, and then we're going to read these Scriptures. And uh, let's just ask God in the next few weeks To change us, we're going to be talking about discipleship, following Jesus in reality. I'm still getting feedback, guys, back there. Maybe Steve can go back there. All right. Um, God wants to change, save people. God wants to change us. And the Word of the Lord talks about us growing up in Him. We're going to talk about that today, but let's pray together. Say with me, Heavenly Father, change me. I want to follow Jesus as a true disciple. Give me ears to hear today, eyes to see, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's begin. I'm going to talk to you today about life on the rock, and I've got it up here. I want you to see the Bible. I want you to see what he said. This is Jesus talking, and he is winding up the Sermon on the Mount. And here's what he says, and I want you to listen very carefully to what this man, Jesus, said 2,100 years ago. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is what, everybody? Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents, and the floodwaters rise, and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse. Because, why, everyone? It is built on bedrock. Now he goes the second person. Anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, what does it say, everyone? It will collapse with a mighty crash. Wow. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. Blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, life on the rock, and you can be seated. I'm doing all that I can to get us focused tightly on the person of Jesus Christ. We're here today because of Jesus. We're not here out in 30-degree weather. To be religious. We're here because, most of us are here because of Jesus. It's Jesus who changed us. It's Jesus who came into our lives. It's Jesus who has made the difference. But i got to tell you, in almost 25 years of pastoring, it gives you a long time to look at the church. And I see in the church a need to really understand what Jesus said. And to really understand who he is in terms of teacher. Now, I think we have one more verse, don't we, Marsha? We don't have one more verse, okay? Matthew 28, 18 through 20, I can quote it to you. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of every nation. Now, I want you to notice he didn't say converts. He said Disciples. Now, you can't have a disciple without having a convert, and that's an understood thing. But Jesus said, I want you to make disciples. He wanted to be sure that we understood he was after more than conversion. Jesus wanted people to be discipled. So he told his evangelists, his disciples, his preachers, go out and preach the gospel, and they're going to be converted, but I want you to be sure once they're converted, you make disciples of them. I want you to go and make disciples. Well, if he told us to go and make a disciple, then I want to be clear. What is a disciple? What does it mean? When I say the word disciple, you probably think of the 12 disciples. Peter, James, John, Paul, you you, you think of them. And they're way back there. And they're not here now. But Jesus said, I want you to make disciples of all converts. Now, just to be sure, I'm talking to the family here. How many of you believe you have been converted? You've been converted? That means you've been born again. That means you've come to Christ. That means the Spirit of God lives inside of you. And He has changed you. And He's working on you. And you have become a new creation. All is passed away. Behold, all is new. So we've all been converted. But what about discipled? Here's what a disciple is. A disciple is a learner. Can you say the word "learner" with me? A disciple is a learner, a pupil, an apprentice. and that's why I'm calling us today the apprentice." A disciple is a learner, a pupil, an apprentice. A disciple is somebody who sits at the feet of another and learns. Mary and Martha, the two sisters we read about in the Bible, it says that Martha was the busy person. She was always busy doing this and that and the other, full of cares, full of burdens, full of issues and worries. But it says in the Bible that Mary sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word, and when Martha criticized her for it, Jesus said, no, 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 Martha. You're careful and troubled about many things, but I want you to understand that Mary has chosen the good thing and it will not be taken away from her. So when we sit at Jesus' feet as a disciple and we learn, it is something that will never be taken away from us. Now, what does a disciple of Jesus learn? Well, Jesus told us in the same passages in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, Jesus said that we were to learn and do, quote, all things I have commanded you. That's what a disciple learns. And that's what a disciple does. A disciple is to learn and do all things, all things. And that's a lot of things. I'm going to show you in a minute. It's a bunch of stuff that Jesus taught us about life and living So, let's be clear today that a true test of a disciple is whether the learner, the disciple, the apprentice is not just hearing the Word, but hearing and doing. I want you to turn to the person to the left of you and say hearing and doing. Now, turn to the person to the right of you and say doing and hearing. A disciple hears and does. A disciple hears and does. A disciple, an apprentice, a student of Jesus hears and does. And if you're not doing what you hear, why are you in church? Why even bother to call yourself a Christian? The word observe. Jesus said, teaching who, them, who, disciples, those people who you disciple, teaching them to observe all things that I have said unto you. That word observe means to obey but it means more than obey. It comes from a Greek word that means to guard from loss or injury. Jesus is telling us the word that I give to you, the words that I teach you, the words that I minister to you, I want you to hold them so close to your heart that nothing can steal them, nothing can rob them, nothing can take them away so that for the rest of your life, You are practicing the words of Jesus. Guard them. Watch over them like a treasure. Watch over them like a safe. Watch over them like money. Watch over them like gold. Don't allow competing philosophies, competing worldviews to rob you of the truth that is in Jesus Christ. Paul said, beware lest any man spoil you, ruin you, corrupt you through philosophy And vain deceit according to the traditions of men and the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. Beware. There are competing philosophies. And Jesus said, you guard my words close. A disciple follows my words. A disciple practices my words. An apprentice keeps my word like gold and lives on that word. Remember what he said. To do his teaching is to guarantee when the storms of life come, your house, your life, will not crash. It will not come down. The gateway to discipleship is not just hearing Jesus' teachings, but hearing and doing. That's the gateway to discipleship. Jesus said to come into the kingdom of God, you've got to come like a little child. And how's a little child come to you? He just sits at your feet and listens to you. She just comes to your feet and listens to you. A little child is open. A little t- child can be taught. A little child can be guided. A little child can be directed. A little child doesn't think they know everything. you got to come like that and receive his teachings about life and living. Jesus said, a disciple hears and does. He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you do not do the things that I command you? Jesus considered hearing and not doing A strange contradiction. He said, if you call me Lord, then why would you not do what I teach? In our text today, Jesus talked about two kinds of lives. He said, there's only two kinds, life on the rock and a life on the sand. There's only two kinds of lives, a life built on the rock, a life built on the sand. You can build an incredible castle on sand. He wasn't talking about the building. He was talking about the foundation. And if you don't build your life on the teachings of Christ, it may look good for a long time. But one day the winds will blow, the storms will come, the rain will fall, the floods will beat on that house, and then the story is told. Not what you built, but what you built on And if you build your life on the sand, it's coming down. It'll collapse. And Jesus said it's a great fall because you not only were saved, but you built on his teaching. The one on the sand may have even been born again, but didn't build their life on the teachings of Jesus. I'm telling you, somebody saved can see their house fall. He said, but if you build your life on the rock, let come what may, it will not collapse. It will not fall. Life on the sand, life on the rock. In our day, you read about somebody whose life was built on the sand just about every day. They may have had millions, may have had fame, may have had fortune, but their life collapses. And you realize it wasn't built on the teachings of Christ." Both people experience storms, both experience troubles, but one survives and thrives, the other one squalls and falls. What makes the difference? I'm going to say it again, hearing and doing, hearing and doing, hearing and doing. If you walk out of here with anything today, I want you to walk out with hearing and doing. You got to hear what he said and you got to do what he said. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will call him wise. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, I will call him a fool. If you stop and think about it, the epistles, the letters in the New Testament, Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, that were written to the church, when you stop and think about it, they all presuppose the readers to be walking in discipleship. Every one of them. They presuppose that the readers that that they wrote to in the church, they presuppose that the readers are hearing and doing, hearing and doing, hearing and doing. They don't just see him as Savior, they see him as teacher. Paul wrote the church and he said, I have confidence in you in all things. Well, what things was he talking about? To the Thessalonians, here's what he writes. If anybody does not obey or do According to what we have written to you, don't even keep company with them. So there is Paul, Peter, John, James, all of them, presupposing that the people that received the letters were hearing and doing. They were disciples, they were apprentices, they were students, they were learners. They saw Jesus as much more than Savior. Jesus' half brother, James. And I say half brother because they didn't have the same daddy. Jesus didn't have an earthly daddy. But his half-brother James, who wrote the epistle, James, he wrote this. But you must do, here's what James says, you must do what the Word tells you and not just listen to it. See, some of you in here today are listening to me. You're going to leave and you're not going to do it. Some of you are listening, you're going, wow, I'm going to do it. it's going to save your life. It's going to save you many tears. It's going to save you many heartaches. It's going to save your family, save your home, save your soul, save your brain, save your mind, save your thoughts if you hear and you do. James went on to say you're deceiving yourself if you hear and you don't do. To listen to the word and not obey is like looking at your face in a mirror and after looking you walk away and you forget what you saw. This Bible is like two kinds of mirrors. When I open up this Bible, the first thing I see is a reflection of the way I really am, zits and all. Zits and blemishes and all. The Bible shows me all the imperfections about myself. That's why some people don't like to open the Bible. It hurts, but it hurts good. They don't like opening it because they say, oh, I see it's a mirror and it shows me the zits, the blemishes, my imperfections, where I'm falling short. So in that way, it's like a real mirror, but it's also like a supernatural mirror. Because when you open it, you see what you should be. You see a reflection of what you have been called to be. You see a reflection of somebody walking in maturity, in the love of Christ, in the fruit of the Spirit, in the power of God, in victory. It's a supernatural mirror. It, it transforms you. You see what you should be. So I see what I am and I see what I should be. That's the kind of mirror that the Bible is. But James said, if you do that, oh, there I am, zits and all, and there is what I should be, and you close it and walk away and totally forget what you saw, you're hearing and not doing, and you're deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself. There's nobody more deceived than a self-deceived person. He said, the man who looks at the teachings of Jesus, I want you to listen to this. The man who looks at the teachings of Jesus and does what he said by actively putting it into practice will be happy. How many of you would like to be happy? i am tell you, the whole country's wanting to be happy. The whole nation wants to be happy. We're in hot pursuit of happiness, but most of the time don't really know how to get it. Can I tell you what the master of life said? He said, if you hear my teachings and you do them, you will be happy. See, people, the, the devil's a liar. He tells you if you come to Jesus, he's gonna turn you into a freak. He's gonna make you something you wanna be. He's gonna take all the fun out of life. He's gonna take all the partying out of life. You're gonna you're gonna be straight and narrow and your face is gonna be dried up like an old prune until you go to heaven someday. That's a lie. That's a lie. He said, Jesus said, the way to happiness is that narrow road that leads to life. It's the teachings of Jesus, not just hearing them, but doing what you heard. He will be happy in what he does, James said. We're going to see in this series, and this series is going to change your life. It's going to change your life. We're going to see in this series that salvation is way more than just getting to heaven someday. It's way, way More. Well, what is salvation? Jesus has come to give you and me a radical, extreme makeover in this life. A good one. You're going to look better than anybody ever saw you. People are going to meet you and you've been walking with Jesus for a while and they're going to say, I can't believe it's you. What in the world has happened to you? What are you snorting? What are you smoking? What are you drinking? What are you shooting? What did you find? Well, it's the Holy Ghost and fire, and it's keeping me alive. I want you to listen carefully. Discipleship means I am with him to learn from him how to be like him. That's what discipleship is. I am with him. I read just yesterday in Mark, Jesus called the disciples to be with him. To be with him. Discipleship means I am with him every day. Seeking him every day. That I might learn from him how to be like him. All things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose because he predestined that we would be conformed to the image of his Son. I am with him every day that I might learn from him how to be like him. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life abundantly now. Now. Can everybody say it with me now? See, we we picture salvation as you get saved and then you just sit around miserable until Jesus comes back, takes you to heaven where you're finally happy. What a terrible, gross, tragic misconception. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life now and have it abundantly. And I contend the reason a lot of church people don't have it is because they hear and they do not do. Now, I want you to listen to closely what Jesus said to his disciples. Listen to this very closely. Listen to the words of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He said to his disciples, you call me teacher and Lord, rightly so, for that is what I am. See, Jesus' disciples had two names for him. They called him Lord, but they didn't stop there. They called him teacher, called Jesus teacher. Lord or teacher? Hey, Jesus, Lord or teacher, could I ask you a question? In America, we're great on the Lord part. We get people saved all the time. Get people brought into the church. We get people saved, converted all the time. We're great on that. We're great on Lord, but we're weak on the teacher concept because people are not being discipled. Now, let me tell you something about your life. Somebody is teaching you. Now, I want you to chew on that in your brain because I don't care if you're saved or lost. I don't care if you're a committed Christian or not. Somebody is teaching you. Oprah is teaching a whole nation of women. She's not just talk show host, and I have nothing against Oprah, but if you listen to what Oprah presents, and you listen to the guest that she brings on. And I'm not meaning to, to offend anybody. I'm really not because I love Oprah and the Lord. I, I have no issue. But she does not teach New Testament Christianity. Yet millions of women look to her as teacher. Somebody's teaching you. Parents, a leader, musician, somebody, books, somebody, But somebody's teaching you, and because somebody's teaching you, somebody's discipling you. You may go to heaven when Jesus comes back, but here's the question that I want to ask us over and over again. Is Jesus your teacher? Is Jesus teaching you about life and living? Is it Jesus? Or is it somebody else? Because I guarantee you somebody's teaching you. Young people, somebody's teaching you. Somebody's teaching those children that we have made up our minds and we have committed to teach the word of the Lord. Somebody's going to teach them if we don't. We live in a mass media culture that is intent on teaching people one way or the other. You're going to get light or dark, good or bad. False teaching or good. Bad philosophy or good. But you're being taught, I promise you you're being taught. And I am convinced this is why so many professing Christians are not experiencing victory and joy in their private lives. Remember what David said? First Psalm, first verses. Blessed is he who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. You know what blessed means? Happy. Happy is the man who doesn't walk in the teaching of the ungodly. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate day and night. And he will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit when it's time. His leaf shall not wither. And whatever, everybody say whatever. Whatever he does will prosper. Who's that talking to? Those who are rightly taught. Now, so I'm going to tell you something else about discipleship. Discipleship is not complete until the teachings of Jesus have infiltrated every area of your life and living. Now, let me tell you what that includes. That includes finances, friendships, marriage, your sexual lifestyle, ethics, morals, behavior, worldview, everything. Why can I say that? Because Jesus taught on all those things And he said, happy are you, happy are you if you do them. Life on the rock is one of discipleship. That's it. If you're not a disciple of Jesus, applying his teachings to every area of your life, you're not on the rock. You may be saved, but you're not on the rock. And I've been shocked to see how many Christians who are saved going to heaven, but they're not on the rock. Because the teachings of Jesus have not infiltrated every area of their life. And he intended for them to. Everybody with me today? Now I'm telling you this because I love you and I'm telling you this because I want to see you happy. Now let me just make it as appealing as I can. This whole idea of apprenticeship and, and discipleship and being a learner and a student. The promise to the doer of the word is this. Happiness. Victory in storms and abundant life, which we could also call personal fulfillment. You want to be personally fulfilled? Do the teachings of Jesus. You want to experience joy in your life? Do the teachings of Jesus. You want to have good success? Do the teachings of Jesus. Don't just hear them. Don't go to church. Don't shake the preacher's hand on the way out. Say, "Good, good message, preacher. And you forget by the time you get to the car what he said. One guy came up to me once, I'll never forget it. We were at Will Rogers for Easter. He came up, shook my hand, and he goes, Preacher, you bless me every Easter. <laughs> and I said, I said, it can't be that big a blessing. Where are you from, you know, month to month? I, I, <laughs> I'm sharing these things. You know, I, I heard a, I heard a little story of a, a lawyer and a preacher and a CPA went deer hunting they all saw a deer at the same time and they all shot the lawyer was sent out to go see which one got him he came back and said well it was the preacher that got him they said how do you know that I Said, because the bullet went in one ear and out the other I don't think you do that with me. I don't think you do that with me. See, I want to see you happy. But the, the words of the Master Jesus said, you're not going to be happy unless you do what you hear. Now, since the Bible assumes that if you're a Christian, you're also a disciple, and the Bible does assume that. You're an apprentice of Jesus Christ if you're saved. The Bible assumes that. Then why do we have to talk about it? Why should I do this series? I'm going to tell you why. The church in America has caught what I would call, especially in this season, a theological flu. And I'm going to tell you what that theological flu is it's the notion that salvation is a ticket to heaven and it all stops there. Are you saved? Oh, yeah, I'm saved. Going to heaven? I'm going. Yeah, I'm going to heaven. Well, what are do you doing during the week? I live like hell. Well, where are you going to heaven? I'm going to heaven. How do you know? Because I'm saved. In America, or let me put it this way in Dallas, everybody's a Cowboys fan, and everybody's saved, and everybody's a Baptist. Now, you Baptists that are here, we love you. A Baptist led me to Christ in jail when I was 16 years old, a long time ago. But I want you to hear me now. Jesus is our Savior is what this theological virus teaches. But he's not our teacher in life and living. We're intent on getting our souls redeemed, but we're not intent on having our character transformed. But that is as much a part of salvation as going to heaven someday. But Jesus didn't just come for someday. He said to Mary and Martha, I am the resurrection. She said, well, I know you're going to come back someday. The other one said, if you had only been here in the past. One of them had a faith for the past. The other one had a faith for the future. Jesus said, roll away the stone now. But this theological virus, this theological flu is very, very serious because we're not taking Jesus as teacher, we're only focusing on him as Savior and Lord, Redeemer, the Messiah, who can forgive you of your sins and carry you to heaven. Claims of religious commitment and religious experiences run high in America, but transformation in the image and likeness of Christ run low. The theological virus that has invaded the church says that Jesus is good for your salvation But he is irrelevant and so are his teachings to many of the issues you face in life. This is provided and really has produced what Patrick Morley has called cultural Christianity. And I want you to listen to this. Cultural Christianity or cultural Christians. Cultural Christianity means to pursue the God we want instead of the God who is. It is the tendency to be shallow in our understanding of God, wanting him to be more of a gentle grandfather Santa Claus type who spoils us and lets us have everything we want and lets us have our own way. It's sensing a need for God, but on our own terms, not his. But I'm going to tell you, bad English, but good preaching. He, God, we not. He God, we not. It's like the transformer toys that were so popular a while back, maybe still be. Those transformer toys our children play with, you can change it and take arms and legs off and change it around. We often want God to be a transformer God. We want Him to be adjustable, adapting to our wishes rather than us adapting to Him. But the idea behind salvation is we come to Him as a disciple, as a student, as as an apprentice, and we say, teach me. But then there is the biblical Christian, the apprentice, the disciple. Disciples don't live by their own ideas, but by hearing, understanding, and applying and practicing His teachings. Disciples understand that salvation not only applies to the hereafter, but the here and now. He wants to be Lord right now. He wants to be Lord tomorrow morning. He wants to be Lord Tuesday. He wants to teach you Wednesday. He wants to lead you Thursday. He wants to guide you Friday. He wants to instruct you Saturday. He wants to fill you with His Spirit daily. He wants you sitting at His feet like Mary Teach me. We follow Jesus and we apply his teachings to every area of life. And I'm going to tell you what they are again. Finances, relationships, marriage, your sexual lifestyle, morals, ethics, and your behavior. Jesus touched on all of them. Now, I'm going to share with you one major hindrance to discipleship that may surprise you. Because if all of this is true and we are happy if we do them, then why are we so hesitant to do some of what he said? And I'm not saying this to convict you. I hear you. Well, thanks a lot, Pastor Jeff. My toes are sore. Bless God. Are you about done? No. I'm just getting warmed up. (laughs) Turn to your neighbor and say, he wants to see us happy. Now, I want you to hear me on this one. What are the hindrances to real discipleship? Here's one. Jesus was not smart. Now, before you react to that statement, I want you to stop and think about why so many Christians are comfortable with Jesus as Savior, but they do not do what he said. When it comes to finances, relationships, sexual lifestyle, holding grudges, forgiveness, and all the things where Jesus touched on major issues of life. Why don't we do it? Well, it's either two things. Either it's flat rebellion and we don't want to, or we don't trust him. Why don't we trust him as teacher? We don't think he was smart. Now you say, "Well, I do. Really? In Matthew 23, 23, Jesus said, you should tithe. He told New Testament people that they should practice it. Do you tithe? If not, why not? It can come down to two things. I either am in rebellion against him or I don't think Jesus really understood 21st century money. Here's another one in Matthew 6:33 Jesus taught his disciples that we should make his kingdom our number one pursuit in life. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. But I suggest to you and I submit to you that a lot of Christians give Jesus the leftovers. If you don't make his kingdom your number one pursuit, why not? You're either in direct rebellion or you just don't think he understood the fast-paced 21st century lifestyle. I mean, back then they didn't even have cars. They just walked everywhere. In Matthew 5:44, Jesus told us, and here's the big one. This is the one where he had to bend my arm a few times. Jesus taught us to bless, do good to, and pray for people who hate use and persecute us. That's a hard one. I believe in Texas justice. (laughs) They offend you, you whoop them, and then you repent. But Jesus didn't give us that option, did he? That's a hard one. But here's what I've noticed about people. You can tell a lot about somebody's walk by what they do with the word. They can tell you all day, oh, yeah, I'm a believer. Love the Lord with all my heart and soul. But then you watch a difficult decision come where the word presses down on them to make a decision according to the teachings of Jesus, and they bail. But either Jesus knew what he was talking about or he did not. And I'm gonna suggest to you again we don't, we picture him as Savior and Lord, but we don't think he was smart. Dallas Willard writes these words. Can we seriously imagine that Jesus could be Lord if he were not smart? If he were divine, would he be dumb or uninformed? How could he be what we take him to be in all other aspects and not be the best informed and smartest person who ever lived? Now I'm talking... Smart. What is our problem? To Jesus' early disciples, he was not viewed as perhaps a magician who only knew the right word or the right incantation to get results. He was instead accepted by the early disciples as the ultimate scientist, craftsman, artist, and philosopher. Can I stand before you today and say... I've read the great philosophers. I've read the French philosophers, the German philosophers, the Greek philosophers, the ancient philosophers of Egypt, Assyria, Babylon. I've read them. And you know what Paul said about them? He said in all their philosophizing about life, in all their thinking, none of them found God. God. Yet in our day, here's our day, Jesus is not viewed as the master intellectual that he was. You look at the pictures painted of him or of the stories told about him, if a story makes it into the mainstream media, it will always be like this. He's portrayed as an otherworldly man with a faraway look in his eyes, a little bit over spiritual and kooky, a good-hearted person, but just a little bit out of touch with reality. That's how Jesus is viewed. Somebody who said good things but whose teachings can't possibly apply in a secular and brutal world. He was a dreamer but not a realist. Is that true? Is that true? Christianity hadn't been tried and found wanting, it's been found misunderstood and not tried. I want to tell you Jesus, the master, was also Jesus, the maestro of life and living. Can I tell you what I think about him? Watch this. If you're going to call him dumb, call him uneducated, call him uninformed, Jesus knew how to transform the tissues of the human body from sickness to health. He knew how to suspend gravity, interrupt weather patterns, and was smart enough to amaze doctors of the law and doctors of theology at 12 years old with his knowledge of medicine and his knowledge of doctrine. Twelve. When I was a kid, I, I picked up a little book, Encyclopedia Britannica. It's talking about IQs. And they were, uh, they were showing this IQ test. And it had a little bell curve to it. And the bell curve went like this. At the top of the bell curve was average intelligence. And it was 100. And then as the bell curve came down, it went to 110. When it went the other direction, it went down to 90. All right, as it proceeded from 100 down to 110, that was called above average. When it went to 110 to 120, it was called uh, above average. When it went to 120 to 130, it was called superior and very superior. When it went from 130 to 140 and hit the arena of 140, it was called genius. And anything over 140, you weren't in the bell anymore. You were way out here. And then they extrapolated what the IQs of some of history's famous people would probably have been. They gave George Washington 140. They gave Lincoln 150. They gave Mozart 165. They gave Sir Isaac Newton 190 and they gave Wolfgang von Goethe the German philosopher playwright and poet who wrote Faust they gave him 210 brilliant why didn't they have Jesus in there you know why cuz you couldn't me- measure Jesus IQ i'm going to tell you why because Jesus didn't have an IQ Jesus created IQ. Jesus created. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus. And the Word, Jesus, was with God. And the Word, Jesus, was God. Without Him, nothing was made that was made. So it was the mind of Jesus that thought about atomic structure and put it together. It was the mind of Jesus that flung the birds into space, scooped out the oceans, created everything we see. Brilliant. No. Off the charts. Say with me, smart, all caps. In him, the disciples wrote, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom. And Paul wrote that Christian wisdom, the wisdom of Christ, makes the wisdom of the world look foolish. Jesus was a master of human psychology, revealing over and over his ability to go straight to the root of psychological problems, like he did with the woman at the well who suffered greatly from sexual promiscuity and low self-worth. He fixed her in one setting. He was a maestro physician at healing all sickness, all disease, understanding fully the connection that there often exists between sin and sickness and healing not just somebody's physical body but their mind while he was at it. In ethics, he left a footprint that has echoed through the ages more than any human who has ever lived. In finances, money, the economy, Jesus taught on giving, investments, saving, debt, and prosperity. He possessed mastery over every aspect of life and living. Jesus, he always has the best information over every issue of life. Pastor, you're going a little bit far there. I like some other people. I like other people too. Aristotle says some good things. Confucius says some good things. But if you follow their teachings alone, they did not deal with the fourth dimension, the spiritual dimension, and their teachings would not lead you to God. He was a master. He can be trusted with your school, with your job. Let me tell you, if you're a CPA, a lawyer, a doctor, a bricklayer, an electrician, an architect, a housewife, a student, it doesn't matter. You can ask him to help you in any of those things. He's got the answer. Boy, is he a good carpenter too. Can we stand together? You know, I have never had a question about anything that Jesus did not eventually answer for me. You know what I'm saying with all of this? If you're going to have life on the rock, you got to trust him as a teacher. And what that means is you go to him and you say, I know that you have the best answer. He can advise you about anything. He's smart. He's teacher. You're out there every day selling something. Whatever it is that you're in sales for, you ask him and he knows all about it. If you're a mathematician, he created it. Whatever you do, he has the answer. So a disciple, an apprentice says, I'm going to let you be my teacher. Isn't that good? You're going to be my teacher. Heavenly Father, I thank you that Jesus is not just Lord, but teacher. And in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He's capable and he's competent in every area of life smart off the charts. I thank you for it. Now I'm going to ask you something today with your heads bowed. If you can say, Pastor Jeff, I'm saved. I believe in him as Savior. But I would like to make a fresh commitment to be an apprentice, to let Jesus be my teacher about life and living so that I can do it and experience fulfillment. If that's you today, would you raise your hand? Amen. Many, many people. Thank you, Lord. Father, you see these hands and I pray. I want you to pray this with me, church. If you raise your hand, say this with me. Say, Lord... I call you Lord, and I call you teacher. Teach me about life and living in every arena. I humble myself that you would be my teacher. Thank you, Lord.